Hello and welcome to the Literacy Rochester podcast. My name is Joshua Staff and I'm the Development Director for Literacy Rochester and joining me today is Zeno Carpenter New, our Tutor Coordinator slash Case Manager in our Instructional Department. Hi, glad to be here. Uh, before we get talking with Zeno, I want to just thank our sponsor uh, and program partner, OASIS, the Office of Adult and Career Education Services at the Rochester City School District. They partner with us to provide both digital literacy and reading, math, and English language support to members of our community. So thank you, OASIS. Um, so with Zeno today, we're going to be talking a little bit about what it is to be a tutor, the process of becoming a tutor, and also some of the programming that Zeno has managed since he's joined us. So Zeno, why don't we start off by you telling us a little bit about you. Sure. Yeah, thank you. Um, so my name is Zeno. Um, originally hail from the Midwest, but moved to Rochester and joined Literacy Rochester uh, about two years ago. Um, Initially, I taught English abroad for a year in North Macedonia, and that's what sort of led me to doing work with uh, adult education and more specifically, I suppose, my passion is with English as a um, second language learners. But um, since working here, I've worked about a year as the tutor coordinator and more recently started my work as a case manager or case management. Um, So why... What got you into teaching English as a second second language? Yeah, my both my parents are educators, um, and while I studied music uh, in college, I probably should have known that I would end up in the educational field as much as my parents were trying to groom me for that, and as resistant as I was. Um, but I had the opportunity whilst in college to tutor um, English language learning students um, with sort of their their collegiate writing. And that really kind of opened my eyes to this sort of opportunity to basically help others, um, which is really, I think, where my career is taking me. It's just sort of a a career in helping others. Um, And I was lucky enough to be selected as a a Fulbright Scholar right after graduating. Um, That's how I ended up in North Macedonia. And from there, I've really tried to pursue careers that have an educational focus as well as sort of a, a helping focus. Um, and I've really found that in Literacy Rochester, not only just doing my, my general roles as a tutor coordinator and case manager, um, but also I, I lead a couple conversation classes and have had um, a lot of opportunities to interact with folks that many of the volunteers um, work with or will hopefully soon be working with. Um, that's been really uh, rewarding for me. So... You started out, so you have a degree in music, and now you are helping people learn the English language. It sounds pretty normal yeah, for a pretty. lot of people that I know in the nonprofit world to have a degree in one thing and work in another. Absolutely. So. Yeah, I, I see music as its own language as well. So in a lot of ways, I spent my entire educational career learning to to speak a certain language, I think. In that sense, at least that's how I justify it to myself is, yes, this totally makes sense in terms of a transition. <laughs> so as tutor coordinator, why don't you tell us a little bit about what that entitles uh, and what you do with that position? Sure. It's 
It's pretty varied, um, I think, on a, a day-to-day basis. Um, I think a lot of my, my main role is simply matching volunteers with our adult learners. Um, I think that that in itself is the main function of the, of the position. Um, but in addition, I help uh, lead and schedule our intake sessions for new volunteers. Um, soon, I will be helping uh, Riddy, our assessment coordinator with testing, um, hopefully by July. In addition, I, I also help lead the trainings for tutors um, and kind of a number of other things that are just small things I think they do on a day-to-day basis. Um, but really, it's just a lot of hands-on work with the people um, either that we are helping serve in the community or the wonderful volunteers that are helping basically us do our mission, complete our mission. Okay, that's great. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the the process of becoming a tutor? Yeah, absolutely. So the process, um, as I've begun to understand it more and more over the, the past year and a half, um, it is reasonably streamlined. Um, so when a volunteer or tutor or volunteer tutor um, is interested in joining us, they either reach out, call our office, and, and we get them started with an information session. Um, normally this is about 20 to 30 minutes. Um, we just talk a bit about the history of our program and sort of the offerings we have and the opportunities to get involved. Because it's not just tutoring. Um, you can be a, a digital volunteer, we speak about that, a digital literacy volunteer. Um, you can work in our library um, and, and help in a number of different ways. And in fact, a volunteer actually helps me lead the, the information sessions half the time. Um, but beyond that, um, we then sign, the, the volunteers then sign up for a um, pre-session training, which is either led by me or another volunteer. Um, this is a two hour, at the moment, a two hour Zoom session where we talk a little bit more about what it is to work with an adult learner and the things to expect um, in this process. After that, you are enrolled in an online course um, through Literacy New York. And this takes between 12 and 16 hours to complete, depending on the, the person, in which we usually allot uh, about eight weeks, because we know everybody is quite busy. So we like to give you enough, enough time to complete it at your own pace. Um, and of course, a thing to mention with this course is you, you do have access to it throughout your entire time with us. So even if you, you finish it, you start working with your learner, you can always return to the course if there's something you want a refresher on or you saw a module that you hadn't previously signed up for, you're able to sign up for that to learn a bit more if it'll help you. And what are, they, what are some of the topics that they're learning during this training? Yeah, I think the, the two big ones are, are really working with a basic literacy learner, so someone... Uh, who's looking to learn um, reading, writing, or math, um, and then a ELL, so an English language learner, and that's someone looking to learn English. And within those two broader categories, you explore um, tutoring tactics, sort of lesson plan building, um, and a number of the specifics that sort of go along with each um, different type of learning. Um, I know I mentioned math as well, that there is a more specific numeracy module, um, which I have not done because um, I am afraid of math, um, <laughs> but that um, I think takes a very similar approach in how it explores sort of tutoring tactics and all that. I think a lot of the modules are helping the volunteers, who many of which do not have a teaching background, which is completely okay, um, helps them feel confident and comfortable in themselves helping somebody else. 
Um, but yeah. Okay. And after, so now they've gone through this 12 to 16 hour training, uh, what are the next steps? Yeah, so the next step is to be matched with a learner. Um, after you've completed the modules, I am notified through Literacy New York, and then I send a matching preference form. Here you can select the level of learner you'd like to work with, specify between math, reading, writing, or English, or choose all above. And um, you are also able to, to pick a gender preference if you have one, and then I match you. Um, and in normal times, I look at zip code and preferences as sort of my, my first go-to, um, just so that you don't have to drive across town to meet with somebody. Um, and because we ask volunteers and learners to meet in public spaces like a library or a restaurant, or even here at Literacy Rochester, uh, I think the zip code has a lot more bearing on the, the matching, um, the, the success of the relationship. Um, right now, of course, many of our pairs are meeting online, um, so the, the location is a little less to do, but um, regardless, that's normally how I approach it, is looking at your preferences and then going from there. And of course, I send you, a or the, the volunteers rather, a student profile. Um, this gives you an idea of who you're going to be working with, some of their goals that they've come in with as well as a bit of their educational history and past so that you know where they've been, what they've done, what they've struggled with, and what they've had success with. I think this helps give the volunteer a very good idea of what to expect and how to start working with the, the learner. In addition, the first few sessions, I always like to say, are not so much about covering all the material you had planned for the entire year, um, but rather building that relationship, since the relationship truly is, I think, fundamental and probably the most important part of the, the pair. Since most of our work is done one-to-one, -one, having a good relationship allows the learner to be vulnerable, um, since education is very much a, a like, vulnerable subject for many of us, um, as well as helps the volunteer build an understanding of how to approach the variety of topics the learner might want to work on. Uh, and then after the volunteer and learner have met for a couple of weeks, we like to bring everybody back, um, the volunteers, for a post-session. This is another two-hour session in which we speak on, on what you've worked on so far, what questions you have, what concerns you might have, and, and try and build, um, kind of build on of what you've already started. So I start with an information session. I do your tutor pre-training. I go through the Literacy New York training. You match me with a student. I do the post-training. What support uh, is offered to the tutors once we've gotten past that post-training? Yeah, no, absolutely. And thank you for summarizing it in such a <laughs> succinct way. Um, we have once a month already, um, again, my colleague, the assessment coordinator, is leading uh, tutor check-ins. Um, these are done via Zoom. They are typically Wednesday evenings, um, I believe the first or last Wednesday of the month, depending on sort of where the four weeks lands. Um, this is a great time for volunteers to come together, whether new or veteran, um, and share some experiences um, and kind of help each other. Because um, undoubtedly, if you have a question, somebody else has likely had this question in their one to 10 years of working with a, an adult learner. 
Additionally, we have just launched a Facebook group um, for volunteers, and this is in a very similar vein, um, a great resource for volunteers and tutors to connect with one another and to, um, again, share experiences, ask questions, receive resources. Um, and all of this is meant to be informal. It's not meant to be a sort of a classroom setting or anything like that. It's really just meant to be, you are working with these people, let us help each other. Nice, nice. So outside of just doing the tutor management, you mentioned earlier that you run conversation classes. Why don't you talk about those for a little bit? Sure, yeah. So at the moment, I believe we have five conversation classes going. Um, I believe all of them are remote. Uh, with My hope is soon we will all move back in person. Um, though I do imagine some of the, the classes will remain remote um, even after um, we've successfully overcome COVID, I guess. I think we're all hoping to, for that to yeah. happen very soon. <laughs> Not sure how to phrase that even. <laughs> um, but yeah, so um, the conversation classes initially started uh, about three weeks after I started with Literacy Rochester. Uh, and that was just two classes, one led by myself, the other led by a volunteer, um, broken up into more advanced level English speakers and lower level English speakers. And these classes are really built around the idea that Practice builds confidence um, and exposure to a native English speaker um, additionally just builds familiarity with sort of the Rochester accent, um, the speed uh, in which an, an English a native English speaker talks, um, idioms, expressions, um, basically everything in terms of casual conversation. They are typically what I've, I've found is Volunteers and myself, when approaching each individual class week after week, at least I'll speak for myself, I suppose, I don't necessarily build a strict curriculum, but I do build a bit of a guiding sort of outline. And I like to keep this sort of format because I think this does follow the natural progression of a conversation you would have with a friend. Um, and then that's ultimately what I'm, I'm hoping to offer the learners who do attend the conversation classes is a really easygoing and casual and fun environment in which they can they can practice their English. And I've seen remarkable improvements for some of the learners. One um, who I've continued working with since uh, November of 2019, um, and we still have a, an online conversation class going today. We've done actually just phone calls for the past many months and only just moved to Zoom. But the, the challenge of of speaking English over the phone as a second language um, was definitely something that was, was difficult for her in the beginning, but she's become quite comfortable. And, and oftentimes at this point, I'm just sitting back listening to her week and her stories and everything like that. It's really um, gratifying to see the improvement. Um, that just sort of casual conversation over a prolonged period of time can have. Um, and then, uh, Two of the conversation classes are, are being led by volunteers currently. I believe we're, we're constantly getting more and more students involved, or learners, sorry. Um, and I think both for, for those leading it and for the learners, 
in the classroom. I think it's just been a really rewarding experience overall. I am very excited to move back in person. I do think the conversations can be a little better, um, but I, I've enjoyed continuing them throughout the, uh, the sort of remote pandemic we've been having. Yeah, I remember one of the first classes that I, I watched when they were in the lunchroom um, is that they're, they're not just learning how to talk and learning the English language. Um, the volunteer that was running the class was also getting them to learn about the cultures of the other students. And I remember walking in and just observing and they had written kind of like a pie chart on one of the notepads. And it was, they all had to tell the same thing about their home country. So it was food, uh, topography of their country, rivers, uh, cultural aspects. So they're not just learning the English language, they're also learning about other cultures around the world in the English language, which I think is amazing. So I really feel like we're getting that well-rounded, full, full circle education to them. So um, that's great. So five classes. How are you dividing them? Are they divided up just by time or is it because there's five different levels of English language that you're finding? Yeah. Um, originally, I think my, my approach was, okay, we just need as many different times as possible to sort of accommodate the different work schedules and um, daily lives of everyone. However, since we've now have five up and running, we've been able to divide them up a little bit more into ability levels. The Tuesday and Wednesday um, classes are just drop-in. That's kind of what I've been calling them. So whoever is available during these times, that's if anyone's listening, um, Tuesday at 11, anyone's listening who needs the class, that is, um, uh, Tuesdays at 11 and Wednesdays at 4 p.m., um, the Monday class is a more advanced level, um, sort of fluid conversation kind of class. Um, and then the other two are kind of in that moderate to beginning level. So a, li- a little bit of both. Okay. What, um, what other projects or programming are on the horizon that you're working on? A good few. Um, <laughs> One, I've been working closely with um, two partners, um, partnering students from St. John Fisher College, and that's uh, building a health literacy curriculum, which we are planning to present to students ideally in the beginning of the summer. And this curriculum is being built around or for low-level English speakers, high-level English speakers, and native English speakers who are working on reading and writing. Um, th- this curriculum will hopefully cover the gamut of um, general health, and of course, starting with COVID-19, um, talking about symptom, symptoms, scheduling appointments, um, asking questions about your uh, insurance, if you have any, or, or, or figuring out ways to get insurance. Um, so really tying in a lot of advocacy or self-advocacy, empowerment, um, as well as providing as much resource um, there as many resources as we can to those who attend the class, um, as well as, of course, building on the foundational sort of knowledge and understanding of, of 
what health means in terms of like health literacy. We're also um, taking a look at mental health in, in this project as well. Um, and, and that's, I think, of cr crucial, critical importance, especially given the last year uh, many of us have spent in isolation in some format. Um, and that this kind of follows the same theme of, of access and sort of understanding. Um, not, of course, self-diagnosis. Um, I know I've been cautioned by many doctors and physical therapists about reading and self-diagnosing online and things like that. Um, so not sort of following in that trend, but more of how do you figure out what's going on? Um, who can you call? What do you have access to? What is um, the best, if, if there is a best route to figuring out what's going on, what is it, and how do you find it? Um, so yeah, really, really trying to focus on um, a wide range of, of sort of important issues in, in the health literacy world. Um, additionally, Riddy and I are working on a pre-course for incoming adult learners. This course is, is meant to focus um, on study habits, learning styles, um, note-taking, um, again, sort of focus on advocacy in the classroom um, or, or in the one-on-one uh, -on -one pairs, sort of feeling comfortable and confident enough in oneself to where you, as the learner, have the power to sort of dictate where the lesson goes and, and to really know what you want to learn and make sure that you are learning it since this experience is for them, is so that they can improve what they want to improve on. Um, and so this is a project that's still early uh, in the works, but I feel like we're making a lot of good progress in terms of how we're going to run the course and um, what, what benefit it will have for the learners who attend. Um, and lastly, I think something I've been working on just a little bit um, and hope to, to progress quickly on is creating a um, sort of welcome back course for volunteers who have stepped away for a year or a number of years and are looking to come back but don't want to go through the, the entire training that I mentioned in, in long-windedly uh, earlier um, and hopefully making that just a condensed two or three hour sort of conversation style um, refresher course. Well, it sounds like you're very busy yeah. and that's only part of your job. Yeah. Um, you know, the other part that Xeno works on is case management with our students. Um, briefly describe uh, some of the tools and objectives that you're trying to reach when you're doing case management with your students. Yeah, so the, the brief description of it um, is essentially building an, an, a, a library of resources that I can refer our learners to. Um, a lot of my responsibilities in the case management role is just to reach out to, to our learners and see how things are going. Or to, um, from the tutor reports that the volunteers uh, submit every month, sort of try and glean, if I can, any information that might make me think, okay, maybe this learner needs um, just to be checked in with or anything like that. And from there, I, I try and refer people to the correct um, resource available in Monroe County, um, whether that be for food, for housing, for internet, for mental health, really for, for anything. Um, my goal in case management is just to be a resource to our learners. Okay, good. Um, what would you want potential
potential tutors to, to know? Or what advice would you provide them? Yeah, for, for incoming. For incoming, well, people that are thinking, I want to get involved, I want to do something, um, this sounds interesting, but I'm nervous. Yeah, I, I think the, the mental barrier I've heard over and over again in the information sessions is I, I don't have a background in education, can I be a, a tutor? The answer is absolutely and resoundingly yes. Um, like I mentioned, my background is in music. Um, when I went to North Macedonia to teach, I didn't actually have a, a background or like knowledge of teaching. And I think a lot of volunteers that come to us are in a similar position, um, whether they've worked their whole lives not in education or um, they're still working, they're, they've just started working, they're looking just for another way to get involved in the community. Um, the, the training lit that Literacy New York offers um, is comprehensive and does give you all of the tools needed to successfully work one-on-one -on -one with um, a learner. Additionally, because it is one-on-one, -on -one, the style of education is a lot different than, say, a classroom. Um, you don't necessarily have to learn the tools to manage the entire classroom of 10, 20, 30 students, but really you're just, you're building that relationship and as you go, it just gets easier and easier as you get to know each other and understand what works best and what doesn't. Um, and even honestly, those who come with an education background find it, there's also an adjustment period of like, as I mentioned before, this isn't a classroom, you're just working one-on-one. -on -one. Um, so that, that's the, the biggest barrier, the mental barrier I've seen so far. Additionally, I would add that I think all of the volunteers would say this has been an incredibly rewarding experience, um, as with the learners, of course. But speaking specifically to the volunteers, I think it's so easy to find joy in, in helping another person. Um, and, and not only that, but you are just making a friend, um, ideally. Um, I know many of the volunteers and learners who have stopped working, have, have together, have stayed in touch for years after, um, whether it be just to ask questions as a, as a general resource and guide in the community or a mentor, um, or, or just genuinely as friends, um, get coffee once a year or something just to check in. Um, but the relationship you, you get out of this is really uh, rewarding. I think especially coming out of a year of isolation, I mean, what better <laughs> reason to, to jump in? Yeah. Well, Zeno, thank you for joining us today and talking about uh, what you do here at Literacy Rochester. Um, and to our listeners, as always, uh, the success of our programming is really based on three things um, that we at least that's what we think uh, it's really the courage of our students to step up and get help the dedication of our volunteers to help those students and the support of the community which are people like you uh, if you want to learn more about becoming a tutor or to see when our next uh, volunteer information session is you can look on our website at literacyrochester.org uh, and check out our calendar and check out the page of To Become a Volunteer. Um, so again, thank you, Zeno, for joining us. And this is the Literacy Rochester podcast, and Literacy Rochester is empowering lives through literacy.